Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here with Keith Townsend. Welcome to another sponsored episode of the Greybeards on Storage podcast, a show where we get Greybeards bloggers together with storage assistant vendors to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. We have with us here today, Stefan Helmold, Director of Cerebite Inc. So Stefan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's new with Cerebite? Hello, Ray. Uh, wonderful. Good morning. It is a pleasure to be uh, on this podcast today. And uh, what is new about Cerebite is we established the U.S. entity at the end of 2023. And with that, Cerebite Inc. was born, which is a, a daughter company of uh, Cerebite GmbH, uh, a German uh, limited liability company. And what has Cerebite uh, got to do in the storage business, Stefan? Cerebite has a very innovative new storage technology that is ideally suited for cold storage, especially storing data for a long period of time, very cost-effectively and sustainably. It is uh, using a ceramic-coated uh, glass media that is written with a femtolaser and allows you to store data virtually unlimited in a, a similar way as you can imagine a ceramic punch card would work. Ceramic punch card. Now you're going back to my roots here. That's interesting. I've, uh, yeah, well, it's a different story, but I've done punch cards before. And uh, so it's, is it a Hollerith code kind of thing or is this is more sophisticated than that? Well, the, the reason why I like to use ceramic punch card is you want to give people an image, right, of what is the technology in a very easy to understand way, right? And uh, it starts with uh, basically clay tablets that are uh, have a, a proof of concept, right, for the last 5,000 years that ceramic storage has a very great longevity. The reason why I call it a ceramic punch card is because uh, you have a thin nano layer basically on a ceramic layer on top of, of a glass sheet and you use femtolasers to ablate dots in that and write uh, with a, a matrix onto uh, the, the uh, uh, onto the sheets and with that you can basically encode the information onto it and that is uh, what brought me to the analogy of calling the ceramic punch cards because it is kind of like you're punching holes into that nano layer uh, in this case, with a femtolaser, and so it's a it's a, let's say like a, a card based kind of uh, solution that that uh, on each card you could you could store some number of I don't know gigabytes, terabytes, something in that order, or how's that? Yeah, you can. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, you can think of it as uh, they are basically square-formed ceramic-coated glass sheets. Think of it as uh, very similar to your uh, screen protectors like Gorilla Glass that you have on your cell phone. And uh, that is coated with a, with a thin uh, ceramic layer basically on top of it. Uh, those can store information on both sides of the surface that carry those ceramic layers. And then you have a number of sheets within cartridges that typically are the size of an LTO cartridge, which allows us to use basically LTO automation to uh, build entire data center racks. So give us a uh, sense of scale. How, how big are these cars and sheets? 
Yes, you have uh, the uh, uh, sheets are about uh, nine by nine centimeters in size, of which uh, eight by eight centimeters are actually used for active data storage. The reason why that is is because they need to fit into the form factor of an LTO cartridge in order to use those cartridges into in a system. And we have uh, showcased all of that as a working prototype already, uh, where you can demonstrate today uh, the writing of uh, gigabyte scale uh, sheets uh, at megabyte per second bandwidth. Uh, you can store it in a, in a rack as well as you can subsequently retrieve it at similar uh, uh, speeds. And all of that is giving us a full demonstration of uh, an end-to-end -end workflow that uh, can showcase uh, how the technology works in principle. With that, the next step would be to scale it up from here. Mm -hmm. And so how many sheets can fit in uh, an LTO cartridge form factor? We have uh, today, we have uh, three sheets in the initial demonstrator. Uh, we are planning to go uh, and increase that to more than 100 sheets in order to scale the density up uh, for the overall solution. So I assume the ideal of uh, using the same form factor as LTO cartridges is so that we can take advantage of existing physical infrastructure like robot arms, et cetera? That is correct, exactly. Uh, the idea here is to basically innovate with using as many as possible off-the-shelf components so you can build a proof of concept with a fairly low budget. The company has been able to do this within a period of about 18 months and uh, less than $7 million. And building a storage mm. prototype right for that budget and for that timeline, that is quite an accomplishment. Right, 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 right. And so the interface, let's say the protocol that you would be using to access, read and write, or, or at least read or write, I guess, the, the solution would be LTO tape protocols, or, or how does that work? Um, you would actually use fully transparent protocols to what you're using today. So think of an S3 interface, right? And yes, you could use, so for example, uh, uh, use that as a, as a virtual uh, tape library if you want. So and as you know, tape also has uh, the option to have a uh, write once uh, operating modus, right? right? Which would be basically aligned with um, the, the Cerabyte write once media technology. Huh. So help, help us understand the problem we're solving here because tapes, you know, they, LTO tapes have been around for my whole career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I can go back to, you know, the start of my career and still recover data from the probably the start of my career. I actually ran a restore some Windows NT servers uh, just a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, so uh, first of all, the as you, as you know, the CIO golden rule is that you should uh, uh, store your archives um, uh, on, on two uh, different media technologies. Uh, tape today represents only one. Uh, people are also using disk storage, right? But that wasn't uh, intended to be actually used for archive storage. So augmenting uh, what uh, we have today with tape as an archive storage, that would be the first problem to solve. The second problem is that um, 
you have a, a, a longevity issue that you need to ultimately migrate data at some point in time. Typically, that happens every five to seven years, and that is often not necessarily because of uh, the, the media longevity itself, right, to the point that you made, but it is often uh, driven by the availability of the read-write electronics in order to make sure that not only do you have your archive storage media, but you also have the ability to actually read the data back. And uh, on top of all of that, uh, that the capacity scaling is, is another factor, is we need to increase the capacity by about 100x from what we have today. And uh, while tape certainly can deliver 10x, right, uh, from, a, from a theoretical perspective, it is questionable whether it can deliver 100x, right? Uh, and neither can any of the other current mainstream storage technologies. And um, that's, that's another factor to consider. And then all of that, of course, from a cost scaling perspective, has to be also uh, scaled down uh, by, by similar orders of magnitude. And uh, then lastly, uh, you, you need to have a media technology also that when it is disposed, it is recyclable or it is, has a sustainability profile that is uh, most favorable and does not require a lot of energy, power or expense uh, to basically be disposed at the end of life. And all of these problems uh, have to be solved in order to scale up, uh, if you want, so from uh, the, the current uh, storage scales to the yottabyte scale. Talking yottabyte scale, uh, if, if there's, a, you know, I don't know, 100 gigabytes per surface and there are 100 of these... Uh, storage cards in an LTO capacity, and each of those have two, so it's 200 gigabytes per per card and 100 cards. So I, yeah, I, it's still it's still on the order of what an LTO. I mean, LTO cartridge today is 20 terabytes, right? Yeah, yeah, you you can uh, you can certainly see that uh, when you when you go from an LTO nine cartridge, right, that that is in in, in that general vicinity uh, that you referenced, right. Uh, if you scale that up from there, you certainly will get with the optical femtolaser domain, you'll get to call it 100 petabytes per rack, right, which you could argue that uh, tape may also be able to deliver. The ultimate scaling uh, to uh, exabyte scale per rack is actually delivered through particle beam technology, which allows you then to uh, get down to a few nanometers in the basically bit size, which is comparable to what uh, DNA data storage holds as promise. Well, so so you would be moving from today's demonstration solution using lasers to something that's uh, more of a particle beam read right or i guess right head kind of thing is that is that yeah think think of it uh, the following way we um so in in the tape textbook right or the tape playbook you have uh, tape is trailing this by about 12 to 15 years right and that was a decision that was made in order to use amortized disk drive technology so at cerabyte um we deploy a, a similar foundational idea uh, to use uh, amortized semiconductor fab tool technology so today's demonstrator is actually um, a maskless lithography tool repackaged in a data center rack, right, and, and adopted for uh, storage. Uh, the reason why we can uh, project out 20 years from now is because in 20 years from now, today's semiconductor fab tool technology 
uh, is, is going to be suitable to actually deploy as a storage solution with the density and the cost as well as the speed. You can see already today that you can write down to the few nanometers right with semiconductor fab tool equipment the challenge today is that it'll cost you more than 100 million dollars right per tool and that is not yet at an at a level that is it's affordable for storage right but it's foreseeable when you follow the, the path of semiconductor technology scaling that you eventually will get to that point so you mentioned the dna stuff i mean there's been a lot of uh a lot of work in this in the DNA space, trying to make it more of a amenable to a storage solution. I, I think Cerebite originally had some DNA technology they were focused on early on. Why the move from DNA to ceramic glass? Um, I'm I'm not aware that there was DNA data storage technology early on, but uh, there is certainly storing of uh, DNA data right in a ceramic storage uh, where we have. Uh, at a pilot uh, that we're currently engaging in for uh, moon missions, uh, lunar stellar missions, right? Um, that that you basically can store DNA on ceramic sheets. Uh, that that is certainly something that uh, is is another interesting use case. So, are you mean? So, uh, this is always an interesting conversation. DNA, as in a DNA sequence, that's not. A, more chemistry, yeah. more chemistry than it is uh, more bio, bio and chemistry than it is computer science. No, you can read, uh, you can sequence DNA, right? You can read it, and then you could uh, the data that you read, then right uh, the basis. Uh, you can you can store those, right? Same as uh, you're doing the DNA sequencing today uh, for for medical purposes, right? You you can. So it's not actually DNA on the not, ceramic. It's not. It's not yeah, that's device. Not, it's the encoded yes. version of the base pairs and that sort of stuff. That is correct. Uh, so where do you where do you see this technology play? What what sort of role? I mean, obviously it's cold storage. Where does cold storage play in the enterprise or or the, the world of IT these days? Yeah, yeah. You have. Uh, I would say you you can think of this as uh, multiple phases of a rollout right you have the digital preservation uh the national archives right that's uh, kind of like one vector that goes then also into uh the medical field where you have to retain data for the life of the patient and ideally be able to retrieve it within minutes if that patient shows up in an emergency room you have critical infrastructure all the way into uh financial data that needs to be retained for a longer period of time as well as critical infrastructure data. Think of it as bridges, nuclear power plants and other things. And then uh, as we as we further continue on, uh, you're gonna see uh, a lot of opportunity in uh, the collaboration of, of uh, basically also backup and, and, and archiving of primary uh, storage data, right? As well as the ultimate, uh, let's say, uh, largest consumer likely will be the hyperscalers for use cases there that are for storage of uh, video data, for example, as well as AI training data, as well as um, uh, the, the decision trails, audit trails, governance for AI, I think uh, will, will drive significant need for cost-effective cold storage in several cases. Uh, that storage uh, will be only retrieved uh, if there's any dispute uh, let's say within a, a court case, right? So you have the archives uh, that that have uh, only retrieval upon subpoena, 
uh, all of these new use cases will drive significant demand for storage on top of what we have today. And uh, we have just seen uh, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine publish a rapid expert consultation where the Office of the Director of National Intelligence asked for how to go about storing exabyte scale or hyperscale type of cold storage data for a period of 25 to 50 years. Whoa. When you say Office of National Intelligence, Director of National Intelligence, you're talking about uh, German or... or uh... I'm sorry. No, that was uh, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence of the United States of America, ODNI. So <laughs> some guy like from CIA level wants to store exabytes of data for 25 or 50 years. Yeah, that's the declassification period horizon that they're anticipating yeah. now. Yeah. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, the the, de the details, right, are uh, uh, have not been um, disclosed as part of that, right? But I had the right. pleasure to right. be uh, one of the co-authors of this uh, rapid expert consultation, and I was especially excited about it because uh, it is a, a public use case, right? That there is demand for hyperscale type of cold storage data sets for decades, right? And that's, uh, uh, I think, very important to note. You know, one of the biggest challenges for you know long, long-term archival storage is is the is the format of the data. You know, if you look at uh, you know video today, it's MPEG four. If you look at you know audio, MPEG three. You know, uh, twenty years ago, those sorts of things didn't exist, and in twenty years, I'm sure the format for video and audio will have drastically changed. How do you handle something uh, where the format itself is changing on a period of, you know, a decade or so? I mean, you, know, you look at doc files and stuff like that. They've undergone significant change over the course of 10, 15 years. Yes, yes. And these are fundamental problems that uh, you have to solve for all cold storage issues, right? Uh, that That's clear. And uh, you you uh, have uh, multiple approaches in that. First of all, you have the uh, today in today's world you have the media obsolescence. Then you have the format obsolescence, right? That's what you currently referring to. And then you have the software obsolescence on top of that, right? Um, there will have to be um, you know Rosetta Stone alike basically references so that archives can be retrieved. First of all, you need to understand how the data is encoded. And secondly, you need to understand in which format it is. And in some cases, you may have to also give means to actually read the data itself back again, right? So meaning that uh, you may have to uh, in include uh, potential software uh, packages uh, with the data if you want to have a sh be assured, right, that you have a, a universal format to regain the data. Uh, this is all something that is is a is a general problem that's been discussed and that we already, as an industry, ran into for any of the long-term storage considerations. Uh, that's not not unique to Cerabyte. It's the same problem that you face with DNA data storage. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely correct. I mean, the, the format problem, the software problem, the media problem, all those issues exist. Uh, you know, the nice thing about something like DNA or even uh, a ceramic glass is that uh, in the media itself will probably persist long after, you know, the software and the, and the format will, will be non-existent or, or go out of, of fashion. I, I was thinking that, you know, uh, in order to do something like this effectively, you'd almost have to open source 
the format of the storage media and that sort of stuff. Are you guys doing anything with open source? Uh, we are working uh, within OCP, the Storage and the Sustainability Workgroup, and to some to some degree, there is uh, without a doubt uh, a need, right, to have a worldwide uh, repository, right, on uh, how to how to read certain, uh, let's say, media formats, right. So I'm 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 fairly certain that something like that will emerge. Today, you already have the problem, and I've seen that when I was at the International Council on Archives. A Congress uh, that uh, you know we don't yet have everything uh, on a, on a worldwide scale fully standardized to deal with these type of problems that you described. So there's work uh, ahead of us as as a at the national and at the international level to tackle this. So one of the bigger problems or challenges for archival storage, we run into this problem on the software side. There's been, you know, interesting business development between Veritas and and Cohesity. But, you know, these technologies, especially LTO tape, is extremely sticky. Are we looking at LTO plus? Are you looking mainly to displace LTO? What's, What's the addressable market for this type of archival system? Yeah, that's uh, that's an excellent question. So um, just just uh, for reference, I'm 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 a big believer, right, that each new media technology has its unique characteristics, and, and the same holds true for Cerebite. We just actually got done uh, with publishing a, a co-sponsored study together with IBM and Fujifilm. So to to in, indirectly answer your question on on how how uh, basically archive storage is going to be harnessed with the use of uh, all of the various technologies. So it's not one or the other, but think of it as a uh, an active archive, maybe uh, from a concept approach and think of it as um, where you uh, store each bit at a given point in time, depending on its access paradigm in a particular storage media in order for it to best uh, be addressed uh, with regards to uh, the, 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 the needs uh, uh, for, for the access as well as storage costs and sustainability. Um, you can say that there is, uh, uh, you know, in the report, it's, it's referenced as uh, uh, ultra frozen, right, cold storage. So there is, there is that, that new element, uh, that new segment, right, that is uh, emerging, which, which is quite sizable. Uh, where you have uh, a significant amount of, of, of uh, very cold data that is infrequently, if ever, accessed, right? And so that's, I would say, that's where you see see this uh, emerging at the bottom. And then there's also another tier that is actually above tape, which is uh, in between tape and disk, uh, which has uh, access within, call it, a few seconds. So just think of uh, if you wanted to serve up a video today, then you typically get... Uh, maybe 10, 15 seconds of uh, an advertisement before you actually get the video playback. That could be a a, a very attractive application for uh, ceramic data storage. So as we're thinking about deep storage for stuff like video applications, we can go this route. You know, one of the challenges for uh, as the streaming services, as their catalog grow larger and larger is kind of these, you know, we'd like to call deep cuts stuff from 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, even that may not be in high demand, but has a cost 
to keep it uh, either uh, real time or near real time access. That's right. That's uh, that that's exactly the, the the type of use case, right? And in the report, by the way, it was about thirty five percent of all data was uh, earmarked as uh, frozen. 25% as cold, 20% as cool, and 13% as warm, and 7% as hot. So this is kind of like a new, a new further, how to say, refined data storage permit um, that uh, I think will will give opportunity to deploy all of the media technologies in a call it active active archive setting. Yeah, historically. So- so if you're looking that. at uh, cloud service providers such as AWS with their Glacier storage, where where would this play in kind of a tier of storage potentially for a uh, cloud, uh, a hyperscale cloud storage provider? Yeah. So you can think of this uh, solution as ceramic data storage to be deployable in an, in an uh, accessible fashion as well as in the standard uh, archive uh, fashion where you have a vault type of storage, right? With that, it can address, um, you know, up to 80% of the data stack in totality, depending on implementation model. Uh, when you think about hyperscalers, it could be uh, um, uh, offered as, as new, uh, basically, storage services through hyperscalers, but uh, at the same time, it can also be deployed on-premise. That will be a question of basically choice from a customer perspective. Um, so, given given the, uh, the 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 fact that, that uh, the writing itself is the most costly aspect of it, there's a there's a good chance that uh, that will be basically an ideal starting point for cloud service providers, right? Where you leverage centralized infrastructure to generate the media that you then fairly inexpensively can read back. So you, you're saying that something like Cerebite could fit almost above and below Glacier in price and access uh, density or access performance. Is that is that is that how I read yes. that? Yes. So when you think about uh, cloud uh, offerings, uh, cloud uh, storage offerings today, take a dollar a terabyte a month. I think that that will further evolve and ultimately will get down to, uh, you know. Uh, dollars a, a petabyte a month, right? So from a from a scale perspective, uh, from an offering perspective, so you have to have uh, the cost structure in order to uh, not only take the density up 100x, but need to be able also to take the cost down in the first instantiation by 10x, right? And then ultimately 100x. So in order to be, um, let's say, competitive, right? For example, vis-a-vis take disk as a benchmark. Um, you ideally want to be positioned in order of magnitude below disk. Yeah, that's where tape has sort of found its sweet spot over the course of, God, 60, 75 years. Uh, The the challenge with, yeah, we've had different archive storages emerge over the, you know, over the last 50 years or so. I mean, holographic storage was big. I mean, there's, there's been various ceramic storage solutions out there. There's been, you know, obviously DNA storage is the, is the most recent uh, iteration of that. The challenge has always been that, you know, none of these storage technologies are standing still. Tape is, you know, LTO 9 today, LTO 10 in two years, uh, you know, they'll double the storage. And then disk, of course, is not standing still and neither is SSDs and NAND flash. They're all moving at a, almost a it's not quite constant, but a fairly dramatic uh, 
uh, exponential uh, activity here where, where they're increasing density and, and decreasing costs. I mean, can something like ceramic technology, uh, you know, mind you, these organizations, DISC, TAPE, and NAND have billions and billions of dollars of revenue coming in and they're, they're devoting billion dollars plus to R&D. How can something like ceramic technologies like this uh, continue to maintain, you know, an order of magnitude better, you know, better cost per, per, per bit or, or access density or whatever than these other technologies. Yeah. yeah. So, so you gotta, you made several points. Let me digest them. So first of all, there is, <laughs> there is a slow, no, no, it's okay. There's a slowdown of, of scaling is, is definitely there. Right. But, uh, you, you, um, will see continued scaling. There's, there's no question about it, but this, the rate and pace of scaling is slowing down. Right. And you already have seen that from the LTO eight to LTO nine, and we'll have to see how it goes to LTO 10. Uh, that's one, right. Uh, the, 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 um... I, 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 just, just to, to probe on that point. Yeah. The rate of sure. scaling has gone up and down over the course of the last few decades and and you know as they get uh, to a new technology you know in case of, of disc and tape as a new head technology and media technology uh, those sorts of things go back to you know whatever the, the 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 rate is but over time you know over the course of decades they've been able to fairly maintain a, a reasonable scale um, constant yeah I uh, again, I, I, the, the rate and pace of, uh, of, of scaling, right? There's is data that you can see when you plot the density, right? Advancements, it, it has has uh, slowed, right? And and, and is continue is is expected to continue to slow. And uh, there is uh, there's a reason why we also get a lot of interest from the main storage providers today into this technology to be a complementary offering, right? And um, the 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 thing that uh, was for me actually quite telling when you look into the storage industry and and the um, uh, as, as a R&D spend that you referenced, right? I assure you that uh, for at least disk drives and tape, it's not in the billions uh, of dollars. Uh, it may be it may be within the world of NAND flash memory. Um, that's uh, so rate and scale of investment also has slowed, right? That's that's another piece as well. And then, and then uh, keep in mind that uh, the, the reason why I was also making the connection to the semiconductor top tool industry, right, is that uh, we have the benefit with uh, the ceramic data storage to uh, ride on the coattails of a trillion dollar industry, the semiconductor industry, right? And that's uh, where you have the, the largest, let's say, R&D budget, right, to work on core technology that can then subsequently be adapted to storage, right? From that perspective, I'm fairly confident that uh, the rate and pace of scaling will uh, uh, allow it to be ahead of uh, other technologies. The other thing is in a general concept by itself, right? Using a uh, Gorilla Glass that is coated with a ceramic layer, uh, that media is extremely inexpensive. The largest cost uh, actually, in, in the, also even in the, in the current demo system, it's the femtosecond laser technology, right? That's uh, that's where you 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 have the the, the highest burden of, of initial cost for writing. So, um, from from that perspective, I think the inflection point will be uh, from uh, when when will we expect to see crossover with cost for disk as well as cost for tape, right? And uh, you can say that the cost crossover for disk is definitely within the remainder of this decade. And uh, the cross crossover for tape depends at what rate of pace tape uh, is moving forward. 
if we give it the benefit of the doubt to move forward as, as the LTO roadmap says, right, it will be some point in the next decade that uh, you will see crossover there as well. I'm sorry. One of the interesting things that you're making highlighting is the cost factor of writing versus reading, which we don't have this cost factor in traditional, uh, at least not in traditional magnet type technologies. A drive that can write can also read. Are we going to see a ratio of drives that are read only drives versus read and write drives? Yeah, so the technology itself is a, is a write once technology. So from that perspective, the only other thing that you can do is basically to sanitize, right? That's why I was also using the analogy of the ceramic punch card, because once you punch the hole, right, in the ceramic punch card, you cannot take the hole back. You can only punch out all holes. That's the only thing you can do to ultimately then erase the data, but you cannot rewrite it. And uh, as such, this is a write once media technology, which also has the benefit that it has basically an audit trail, right? And this uh, a media that cannot, uh, that you know, hasn't been modified or cannot be modified. It's so my my assumption is that lasers are not uh, put at work or put in use when you're reading. So that is correct. you know, so there's deep storage, and then when there's recovery. If I need to have a ratio of, you know, maybe a half dozen drives that can have the capability to write, I can have maybe two or three dozen drives that can read that should be a lower cost model to, you know, overall reduce my operating cost. Yeah, you're using using a microscope, right, to read the data. So you don't need a laser to actually read the data. And that's why I was saying that the most expensive part of the process is the writing. And uh, the reading is is at a considerably lower cost, right? And that is also why this is, from a use case perspective, ideal for particular sets of data. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you mentioned crossover. You're talking like uh, NAND crossover with disk, and then and a NAND ca- crossover with tape. Is that is that when you said well, crossover? Is that what you meant? When you think. Yeah, when you think of it, for example, for disk, uh, we, we uh, have done the calculations projections on that, and you're going to see uh, a TCO, uh, basically cost crossover within this decade. And uh, we expect that around the end of this decade, you are going to see uh, an order of magnitude lower cost for the ceramic uh, data storage technology. Also, oh, the crossover is from drive. ceramic storage over disk and ceramic storage mm-hmm. costing less than tape. Is that how I read that? Well, this is again, you have uh, the first crossovers with disk and the second crossover then is with tape subsequently thereafter. Right, 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 right. And, and NAND, yeah, and historically, NAND has been, you know, discussed as being a, a candidate to displace all disk and, and there was going to be a crossover. And, and, and to a large extent, that hasn't happened uh, because of, uh, you know, continuing. Uh, scaling from a data density perspective on both uh, disk and tape. Uh, although there's obviously certain portions of the disk market that have gone away completely, the high yes. performance disk and those sorts of things. Uh, so now I'm just trying to understand what you said from a perspective of crossover. So today, I guess, uh, TCO. The cross, 
Just yeah. just look at TCO, right? And you know the, the the value proposition of Flash, right, is not the lowest cost per bit, but the value proposition of, of Flash is the lowest cost per IOPS, right, or the lowest energy. Uh, from from that perspective, uh, the use case, right, that we always looked in the past, that is. With Flash, you have 100 times the performance at 10 times the price for disk drives, right? That has come down significantly, the the, the price differential. And as such, uh, you, you know, you, you can see also that uh, disk drive, of course, is still holding the position in uh, uh, in, in the mass storage, right? Where cost is, is domi the dominating deciding right. factor. But right. even there, um, don't underestimate the energy cost, right? That that uh, comes along with that. And that's why I was saying that when you look at cost uh, cost models, right? We're looking more and more into basically TCO models over time, and that is where ceramic data storage shines vis-a-vis, -vis, for example, disk and ultimately tape. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you mentioned the ecological perspective. Obviously, if it's just ceramic glass, it's uh, it's relatively easily uh, dismantled into uh, into elements and and doesn't yes. have any electronic waste or magnetic waste or you know special media technologies or head technologies or servo motors or any of that stuff, right? Yeah, it is. It is you can literally just shred it and recycle it as glass, right? That's yeah. uh, that's the advantage of the media technology being uh, very environmentally friendly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still got a long ways to go from <laughs> from an IT perspective, but you know I, I could see where something like this. I mean, the, the challenge is, uh, like I say, I mean the the scaling factors for disk and tape may have slowed down, but they're still not. You know, they're not non-zero or they're not zero, so they're continuing to decrease in density, uh, costs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, creating a cold archive tier like this is going to be a challenge. I like the fact that uh, your sort of your technology base is based on a semiconductor investment <laughs> uh, cycle. So you know, so effectively, you're taking advantage of semiconductor equipment that's maybe a decade old at this point. Is that how I read that? Yeah, or even or even older than that, right? If you think about the maskless League of lithography technology is like 20 years old right and so yeah. from that perspective you 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 have a, a great cost leverage and benefit and and again uh from from where, where you see this uh, emerging first right is for where you have data that either needs to be immutable right immutably stored we have a lot of interest from the cybersecurity guys right as well as from folks that want to store data for an extended period of time typically that will start with you know centuries or decades of, of retention horizon and there you have uh, just the, the challenge that if you store it on other media right um, let's say you, you would have to go through a periodic media migration right uh, or data migration and that yeah. is that is what what makes this uh, very attractive if you don't have to do that uh, you, you can have a, a significant cost and sustainability benefit. Right, right, right. And, right. and keep it, keep in mind that, um, of course, this is part of why we are also in, engaged in the OCP sustainability work group is that uh, legislators will likely put uh, carbon tax, right, on storage as well as other IT infrastructure equipment uh, in short order. And uh, that will significantly then influence TCO calculations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
it's always an if, right? I mean, they've been talking about carbon tax in the states for uh, probably a decade, and it's still struggling to try to to get any of that uh, played out. It's a little bit easier in uh, other nations. I'll have to say that. So we'll see how mm-hmm. that plays out. Yeah, no, well, Keith, no question. But but there's yeah. a cost. There's a cost, right? To to the oh, environmental absolutely. impact of IT infrastructure, and you have even. I was just a Financial Times article about some countries already limiting uh, the build out of data centers, right? Because they're fearful that uh, they can't deal with all the power demand that they're going to see. Right, right, right. So, Keith, any last questions for Stefan? This has been great. Nope. This has been great. Uh, you know, I followed this conversation way closer and easier than the DNA conversation. So I appreciate <laughs> no deep chemistry and bi- uh, bioscience. But you're a, you're okay. a farm biopharma guy, Keith. You should be up to stuff on all that stuff. I am you a biopharma guy. sequencing than any of us. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. Stefan, is there anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close? You mentioned uh, a, a co uh, produced survey of, of, of storage technology. Is that something that's publicly available? Yes, it is actually. Yeah, there are several things I'd love to point your attention to. One is um, is the study from uh, the National Academies of Sciences, right, uh, and Engineering and Medicine. I think that that is an interesting read uh, on, on the long-term uh, retention of uh, uh, exabyte-scale data. The other uh, report that I referenced was from Further Market Research. It's available at furtherdata.com for download free of charge. And uh, another two events coming up, I think that will be very interesting, will be the Storage Technology Showcase that is at the beginning of March, as well as uh, I think uh, uh, the other event that uh, will come up is going to be mid of April. Uh, It's the Library of Congress is putting up the annual designing storage architectures for uh, uh, libraries and archives, and that that's going to be an interesting discussion as well. Um, All right. As far as a public event is, is concerned, the Storage Technology Showcase is going to be exactly that venue that you're looking for, where everyone's come together to think about uh, how we're going to master the onslaught of uh, storage demand. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of conference. Um, yes. I so send me the links, and I'll put them in the podcast uh, post as well. Uh, so. This has been great, Stefan. Thank you very much for being on our show today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Until next time. Next time, we will talk to the system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as this will help get the word out.